turn in your Bibles to the 16th chapter, the book of Romans, as we continue our study through the Word. As we come to the final chapter here in the book of Romans, we see what a personal chapter it is. Paul is writing to individuals and sending them greetings. You'll remember that Paul had never been to Rome yet. His desire was to get to Rome. Rome was the epicenter of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire built roads throughout the world. World. And, and there was a saying that all roads uh, lead uh, to Rome. It was the center of culture, of political influence. It was the economic uh, center of the empire. And travelers from all over the empire came to Rome. Paul was excited for the opportunity to be able to get to Rome and to be able to, uh, to minister there. If the gospel took hold in Rome, it could stretch to the four corners of the Roman Empire and, and truly the gospel would go throughout the entire world. Now, Paul had been ministering there in Antioch. Antioch, Assyria was on the eastern end of the empire, and, and he was gradually moving west, church planting with his different missionary journeys. He had got as far west as Greece. He, his desire, he is writing this letter, you'll remember at the end of his third missionary journey, it is wintertime, he is in Corinth, waiting for the seas to be able to be navigable uh, once again. And so he sits down and, and writes this letter to the, the church that is there in Rome. Now, in Rome, it wasn't one big church. There was house churches and different fellowships. And, and then Paul also was uh, aware of different individuals from other churches that had traveled to Rome and were in Rome. So he, he sets out and in those first eight chapters, Paul now uh, writes the, the, the covenant, uh, the New Testament, the new, rather the, the new covenant, the gospel of uh, grace. He, he lays it uh, out and the way in which now the, the new covenant has eclipsed the, the old covenant, has fulfilled it. And now we have been given access to God through Christ uh, Jesus. And, and then you remember that if the new covenant now has fulfilled the other old covenant, what about the nation of Israel? And, and we saw Paul address that issue in the next few chapters. And, and then Paul begins to just exhort us in our Christian faith. He begins by helping us to understand our identity in, in Christ Jesus, that it doesn't just change a part of our life, it changes our entire life. And, and you remember that now it is our our reasonable service to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices. And, and so now we are to, to live for God. We're to serve God. You remember that he said that we're to serve God by serving one another, that we all have been given spiritual gifts and, and God invites us now to use those spiritual gifts in the ministering to one another. You'll remember that Paul went on to talk about unity 
disunity and the division within the body of Christ and those that are spiritually mature versus the spiritually immature and how we are to continue to be unified uh, and together uh, in our ministry. We're called to love one another, to serve uh, one another. And so Paul now as he comes to the close of this chapter and the, uh, and the close of this letter, we are going to see not only the, the, the personal uh, farewells and, and addresses that he gives, but also we are going to see him once again warn about the destructiveness of divisiveness, and then he will close uh, with uh, his benediction. And so the Letter being written now in Corinth, uh, uh, Paul is going to send this letter by way of uh, a servant in the church that he discovers is heading to Rome. Her name is Phoebe, and she has been uh, a servant uh, and a helper there in the church. And so Paul begins this final chapter by introducing uh, her as she is going to be carrying the letter to Rome. It says in verse 1, I commend commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria. So Centria is there down by uh, Corinth, and, and so Phoebe was on her way to Rome, and so she is the bearer uh, of uh, the epistle. He says that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a help of many and of myself also. So he invites them to receive her. Now remember we talked last time where receive doesn't mean to just politely accept somebody, but it means to open up your heart, to embrace them and to love on them. So give her a, a proper reception, open up at your hearts to her. She's been a blessing to the church here. She's a, a servant. In fact, she's helped a lot of people. Paul says she's even helped me. Paul doesn't give the details and the specifics and the areas that she served, but here we see that he gives her a uh, a good recommendation to the believers that are there in uh, Rome. He says in verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And this is Priscilla and Aquila. Now, we met Priscilla and Aquila in the book of Acts. In Rome, the, the, the emperor had taken and, and he had cast all the Jews out of Rome, saying that they were troublemakers. And so they were sent out of Rome. Priscilla and Aquila had been in Rome. And so they come down to Corinth and that's where Paul meets them is there in Corinth. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers, and Paul was also a tent maker. And so uh, they fellowshiped together, they got to know one another, and they became ministry partners uh, there as well. They traveled uh, uh, with uh, Paul as Paul heads over to uh, Ephesus and 
And now we find them. So last we left, they were in Ephesus, but here in this letter, we find that they are back in Rome again. And so Priscilla and Aquila, he sends his greeting to them. He says, not only are they fellow workers in Christ Jesus, verse four, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. We are not told of the specifics of how they risked their life, but you will remember in Ephesus, there was the riots that took place in Ephesus and Paul's life was endangered there. It may have been that they stepped in and risked their own lives during that situation and circumstance. We see verse five, he says, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So here we see not only are they in Rome, but also they have a house church. And so they're hosting a, a house church uh, there uh, as well. Greet my beloved uh, Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. And so here we see in 1 Corinthians that the house of Stephanos was listed there as the first fruits uh, in Achaia. And so here we see that Epinetus uh, is from the household uh, now uh, of uh, Stephanos. And so a greeting, greet Mary, who labored uh, much uh, for us, and greet Adronicus and Juna, my countrymen, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. So Mary labored much, and, and then he greets Adronicus uh, and, uh, and Juna. He says that they are my countrymen. So most likely they are Jewish believers. Some scholars believe that they may even be from the tribe of Benjamin, Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. So when he references them as my countrymen, it may have been uh, from the sharing of the lineage of their uh, tribe. But he, he says that they are well spoken of amongst the apostles. And so the other apostles know these two believers here as well. And Paul states that they even came to know the Lord before he did. Uh, and so they've been walking with the Lord some 25 years uh, by the time that Paul is writing this uh, letter here uh, to them as uh, well. He says in verse 8, Greet uh, Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, uh, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stakesis, uh, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of uh, Aristobulus. And, uh, and so here we see that uh, households can include not only family members, but also the servants that are attached to the uh, family there as uh, well. He says, greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Now, interesting here again, he sends a greeting to the household, he says, but to those who are in the Lord. So apparently the whole household isn't in the Lord, but just some of the household uh, are believers. He says in verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Now, Tryphena and Tryphosa, uh, many believe that these are sisters and possibly even twins. Uh, he says, greet the beloved Persis who labored uh, uh, much uh, in the Lord. And uh, so, 
Persis here is uh, also another uh, woman uh, who was faithful in ministry. Nine women are mentioned here in this uh, chapter. And Paul teaches that women have a special and a very important place of ministry within the local church. And, uh, and so here we see his greetings uh, to the women. Verse 13, greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now, you remember when Christ was on the road to Calvary to be crucified and, and how it was that he wasn't able to bear the cross. Remember that he stumbled and, uh, and fell. And so the Roman soldier put his sword onto the shoulder of one named Simon the Cyrenian. And Simon the Cyrenian had the incredible Incredible privilege of carrying the cross to Calgary for Jesus. At the time, it might not have felt like a privilege. Sometimes when we are used of the Lord, it doesn't seem like a blessing at the time. It can seem like an interruption to our lives and an inconvenience. But can you imagine afterwards when, when he comes to recognize that, that he had been privileged and allowed to, to carry the cross to help our Lord on his journey there to offer his life up as the savior of the world. So Simon, he had two sons, and his two sons' name were Rufus and Alexander. And so what is interesting is that these two men were well known among the churches at the time that Mark wrote his gospel. And so Simon is the father of the Rufus that is here in verse 13 that is now in Rome that Paul is addressing and sending out uh, uh, his acknowledgement. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. So it may have been that if he and his family had stayed in Jerusalem, it's possible that Paul had gotten to know them uh, very personally and that he was in their home because he ends up saying, and his mother and mine. So, uh, so Rufus's mother might have been one of those adopted uh, mothers of Paul, and so uh, he is sending his greeting out uh, to her as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Many scholars believe that these were the, uh, the, the leaders of the home churches that were known of by Paul at that time. And so he is sending a greeting to the various different uh, home churches. And, and greet Philologus and Julia. Nerus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints uh, who are uh, with them. Philologus and Julia may have been married uh, and Olympus may have been another leader of a, a house church. And then he closes these, these greetings with it in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss and the churches of Christ uh, greet you. So the holy kiss was a common greeting uh, back in that day, and so much like a, a handshake or a, a fist bump is today, and so greet the, them, and, and then kind of that general greeting, greeting to, uh, to all that are there, the churches of Christ uh, greet you. Now, as Paul has kind of gone through his contact list of everybody that's, uh, that's there, and he has sent out his greetings, 
And he is concerned with the issue of divisiveness. I want you to know that the enemy's desire is to destroy every single healthy relationship that you have in your life. His desire is to seclude you, to isolate you, and then to condemn you. And so he seeks the destruction of all of your relationships. And it's true in our marriages, our families, our work, our business, our community, our neighbors. And the church is, is not free of it uh, at all. The enemy is uh, rampant uh, within the church trying to get us divided with uh, one another. And Paul, as you study the different letters to the different churches, almost one of the recurring themes that he hits in almost all of the letters is the, the divisiveness that is going on. He's never been to Rome. He's never been to the believers that he is writing to, but he is still concerned about the work of the enemy enemy coming into the church and to dividing believers. And, and so after he has sent his greeting to all of these individuals, he, he, he adds an exhortation and encouragement to, uh, with regards to divisive persons. He says in verse 17, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned uh, and uh, avoid them. Instead of preaching truth, Paul talks about these false shepherds and false teachers that are going to mm, come into the church. They're going to twist doctrine. They're going to promote their own propaganda. They are going to use smooth speech in order to gain a following here Jesus had told the disciples that false teachers are going to come in and it was true back then, it is true also today. We have false teachers in the church. We have cults that claim to be Christians when in fact they have abandoned the true doctrine uh, of uh, our Lord and Savior and of the scriptures. And, and so these cults and false teachers, we see that they are aggressive with their marketing. They are on television and radio. They have magazines and books and they are quick to try and draw you uh, in to their sphere of influence. We see that in Paul in verse 18 warns us saying, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. And so here once again, we see that the, the best protection against false doctrine and against false teachers and against the cults is knowing the word of God and studying the word of God. To be able to test all things against the uh, word of God. I want to caution you not to believe anything that anybody says just because they are saying it, but to test uh, everything against the, uh, the word of God. I ask you not to believe the things that I say, but to test every single word that I speak against the word of God. This is why we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so you know the word of God in its context. And when you know the word of God in context and you are testing what you're hearing against the scripture, the Holy Spirit is going to help lead you and guide you into uh, all truth. And so 
so-and-so. And Paul, he's not there to be able to deal with any specific issue. And we don't have reason to believe that there was any specific issue that he's even aware of or talking about there in the church of Rome. But it is just that general uh, admonition that just because somebody says uh, that the Bible says, my question when somebody says what the Bible says, I always ask them where. And their normal answer is, well, everybody knows that the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves, you know, everybody. And I'm like, where does the Bible say that? And and again, it's not in the Bible. They can't quote the verse. They start speaking as if they know about these things when once again, where does it say it? Where does it say it? Where does it say it? Show me, show me, show me in the word of God. And so uh, here it says they're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. They are just self-promoting. He goes on now, verse 19, for your obedience has become known to all. In other words, Paul isn't writing about anything specific. He says that you guys have a great reputation amongst the other churches here. Your obedience to the Lord and to sound doctrine, that's, uh, that is known by all. He says, therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. I want you to be wise in those things that are pure and lovely. And, and I want you to, to be simple concerning evil. Now, we see that within our own flesh, there is a, a curiosity factor that we have. Our, our fallen flesh is, is intrigued with the sin, and we can become curious. There's an old expression that says that curiosity killed the cat, uh, even though it had nine lives, you know, curiosity now can kill the cat. And, and one of the glorious things about the technology age that we live in is the ability that we have for wonderful resources. And and there is so much amazing content that now we have that is available to us that builds us up, that is positive, that is constructive, that is educational. But by the same token, our technology gives us access into the, the absolute most wicked of things that a person can possibly with a depraved mind want to view or investigate. And and there is that. I'm just investigating. I just want to see what what other people are. I'm not going to do it and uh, and all and there is that 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 intrigue uh, that draws us uh, into this area. And, and Paul warns us against that type of thinking. He says be be simple when it comes to evil. You don't need to know about the fullness of the depravity of the heart. You don't need to be viewing these kinds of things in your life. It is not going to edify you or build you up. Whatever things are true, lovely, noble, of good report, if there be any virtue in them, meditate on these things. Become wise. Become an expert in what is good and keep your heart protected. Remain simple with regards to what is uh, evil. He says in verse 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet and shortly and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. 
we see the, the career of uh, Satan is given to us in the scriptures. We see that God created him as one of the, the most beautiful of the cherubim. Many believe that Satan was the worship leader in heaven, but that he eventually became lifted up with pride. Rather than pointing the praise toward God, he wanted to be the recipient of that praise. And pride filled himself up, uh, filled his heart up, and, and he leads a rebellion against God. It is amazing to me that the scriptures tell us that a third of the angels followed uh, Satan in that rebellion against uh, God. And that rebellion was cast out. Satan was cast uh, out. Heaven is now no longer his residence. He still has access. We see the scriptures say that he is still the accuser of the brethren. And, and so he's been cast out. The terrestrial plane is now uh, his domain. He does have access access into the heavenlies. When the rapture of the church takes place, heaven is going to be sealed off uh, from Satan. No longer is he going to have access during that time frame. And, and that is when the tribulation, the great tribulation is going to take place uh, here upon the earth. He will know that his time is short and he will wreak havoc during that tribulation period. At the end of that seven year period, the Lord himself is going to return and Satan will be taken and bound and he'll be cast into the uh, abuso and there he will remain for a thousand years. That is the millennial reign of Christ when the earth no longer will be uh, hindered and hampered and, uh, and attacked by Satan for he will be locked away. At the end of the thousand years, there will be the release uh, of uh, Satan for uh, one last short period of time and he will use it to lead another rebellion uh, against uh, God and uh, that rebellion will be the final rebellion that is now put down and Satan then will be judged, the great white throne of judgment. He will be cast eternally into the uh, lake of, of fire and, and that is the, 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 the history and the future history uh, of uh, Satan. And so uh, here we see in verse 20, Paul summarizes that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet uh, shortly. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, be with you. Uh, amen. Shifting gears, he, verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipitar, my countrymen, they greet you. These are veteran helpers in Paul's ministry and uh, travel companions. He says in verse 22, I, Tertullus, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. So um, Tertius was the secretary whom Paul dictated the letter, and uh, he wrote the letter down. So he adds a greeting to those that are uh, in Rome as well. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church and greets you. So now what's happening is, is that Tertius has sent his, uh, uh, his hellos to those that are in uh, Rome, and now 
now he's passing on some greetings from some of the others that are there in Corinth. Uh, uh, when they found out that, uh, that they're writing a letter to the Romans, they were like, hey, can you say hi to so-and-so for me? And, and so these are now some of those uh, hellos being passed uh, uh, along. Gaius wanted to say hello. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. And Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, uh, a brother. Uh, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, be with you all. Amen. Paul always uh, signed his letters personally, and, uh, and here is his grace his signature. He says in verse 25, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept since the world began. We see, what is this mystery? What is the revelation of the mystery? The revelation of the mystery, the mystery was the identity of the Messiah. There had been a promised Messiah from the very beginning. There had been a promised uh, a Savior. Right when Adam and Eve first fell, we see that God had promised that he is going to send one who is going to uh, remedy their problem, their situation. He, he, he says that Satan will bite his heel, but he will crush the head uh, of uh, Satan. And this was the, the first prophet the first piece of information we have about the Savior, about the Messiah. The various different prophets wrote additional pieces, but it was a, a mystery as to who this, uh, this Savior, who the Messiah was going to be. And ultimately, we see that it was revealed that it is Jesus Christ. But another piece of that mystery was that he, Jesus is not just uh, uh, the Messiah, but he is also God himself. He is the uh, Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. Now, you'll remember that the Jews, they weren't expecting the Messiah to be God incarnate. They were just expecting him to be the promised Messiah. But this was one of the mysteries uh, now uh, that has been revealed, that has kept secret since the world began. Verse 26, but now made manifest by the prophetic scripture. So once again, Paul is saying, don't believe me on this. Look at the scriptures. Look at the prophecy because it's there. When you look for it, you can see it. Jesus himself, when they were questioning Jesus's uh, authority and, and all, he asked them a question. He took him to the book of Psalms, one of the scriptures, and he says, how is it that David calls uh, uh, his son Lord? In other words, the prophecy had been given that the Messiah is going to come through the seed of David. He says, how is it now that your offspring, how is it that David, King David, is referring to one of his offspring as his uh, Lord? And they had no answer. Because what Jesus was pointing to is, is that the son of David is going to be God himself. He is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. 
every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that in Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we see here that Paul now talking about the, the mystery that has not been known until now, but is prophetic in that it is contained in the scriptures, he says, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. Everybody can study the scriptures to see that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. He says, to God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And so Paul closes much in the same way that he began. He began the first eight chapters of this letter with the presentation of the gospel. Here at the very close, he is pointing back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that he is the one that instituted the, uh, the new covenant. It is through him that we now have eternal life. As we close our study here, I wanted to draw our attention for a minute into the verses between verses 3 and 16 in the section of this chapter where he is greeting the Roman saints. And, and as he is greeting, you know, Priscilla and Aquila, he, he says, my fellow workers in Christ and Jesus. He talks about the first fruits of Achaia who were to Christ. He talks about those that were in Christ. In verse 8, it's in the Lord. In verse 9, it's in Christ. In verse 10, it's in Christ. In verse 11, it's in the Lord. In verse 12, it's in the Lord. In the Lord. Verse 13, in the Lord. So we see that in Christ or in the Lord, as he's greeting people by name, he is mentioning that they are in the Lord, that they are in Christ, that they are in the Lord. You see, every single person, they're either in the Lord or they're not. The whole world is divided into two groups. You are either in Christ, in the Lord, or you are not. And, and ultimately here, we see that that is the single most important issue that is in front of every single person. In person. You see, Jesus Christ came to take away the sins of the world. This is the, the very issue that took place. When Adam and Eve sinned, they stained their soul. And now, how can a person remove the sin from their heart? We see that Paul begins in the first couple chapters of Romans talking about the fact that there's no righteous, there's none righteous, no, not one, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When I talk to people wherever I am, everybody will agree that they, they're not perfect, that they, they, they have sinned. Everybody is aware that they have broken the moral law of God. But I find that many people uh, are trying to manage their sin. What do I mean by they're trying to manage their sin? Well, uh, what they say is, yes, I've sinned, but uh, I don't sin that much. Uh, I kind of try and be a good person. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, I consider my sin to be normal or, or, or even better than normal in the small amounts and, uh, that I have. And so they look at themselves and they judge themselves by making sure that, uh, that they're a good person. I find other people, 
They try and manage their sin by doing good deeds to offset to the sins that they have. So they hear what I've got is I got some negatives. I'll throw some positives in, mix it all together. And this way here, I'm kind of trying to, to manage my life. But here's the issue. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, every single person that ends up in heaven came through in Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, Pastor. What about all of those people that lived before Jesus Christ ever died uh, there upon the cross? How, how did they come through Jesus Christ? Well, you will remember that prior to the cross, prior to Jesus' crucifixion, that there is what is known as Sheol or Hades. And Hades is the, the place of waiting, and there's two compartments in it. Those that died in the faith, that was a place called Abraham's bosom. And then there was the, the other side of Hades, and there was a, a separation between the two of them. When you died in faith, you still had sin on your soul, so you couldn't go into the presence of God. Prior to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, there were no believers that were up in heaven. They were in Abraham's bosom. Jesus, after the crucifixion, goes down and he preaches the gospel to those that are in Abraham's bosom. And everybody receives the gospel and Jesus washes the stain off of their souls. Moses was there. Adam and Eve were there. Enoch uh, was there. We see also that Noah was there and, and all of the great saints, though, though they lived exemplary lives and they died in the faith, they still had sin on their soul. And so their souls were washed. And, and now he led captivity captive and, and they ascended into heaven with them. And so those saints there, the Old Testament saints, they're in the presence of God now, but they came through. Jesus Christ, there's one door and there is no other door. The scriptures tell us and today that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we die now, our, our sins have been saved. Abraham's bosom is empty because there's nobody in there waiting any longer. You either have accepted the, uh, the Lord and you go right into the presence of the Lord or you will go into Hades and wait for the great white throne of judgment. And so the other side of, of Hades is, is open and, and operational. But every single one of us you have to have your sins washed off of your soul. No amount of good deeds can do it, and, and even one is too many. You cannot, listen, contaminate the presence and the holiness of God with your sin. God says, I will not allow that. And so I have set up a provision to be able to take care of it. You invite Christ to wash your sin. Believe that I love you. Believe that I sent him. Believe my word. And by faith, you will be given the righteousness of Christ. You will be welcomed into heaven. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And I will place my Holy Spirit inside of you to help you every step of the way from now to the time that you breathe your last breath. And that is the invitation and the offer that God has given to each and every one of us. God wills that none should perish, 
but that all should come to everlasting life. And so God's desire for you is that your sins would be washed away, but he's not going to force you. Listen, he's not going to force you into an eternal relationship with him. You have to want that. You have to choose that. He's made a provision for it and he's made access. But now you're going to decide. People always say to me, how come God sends people to hell? I say, God's never sent anybody to hell. Every single person had to fight through his love. Every single person was chased by the Lord Jesus and Christ, the Holy Spirit convicting them, their conscience convicting them, God pleading and calling out to them. No, God didn't send them there. They successfully fought their way through God's love into the gates. God's arms are wide open to you today. Jesus talks about two births. Today's Mother's Day. Today's the day that we celebrate. Every single one of us is here today because we had a physical birth. We have that in common. And in heaven, every single person is there because they had a second birth. And today is the day that you decide. I can't think of a better day than Mother's Day to experience that second birth so we're going to worship through a song and if God has shown you, connected with you, broken through your defenses today and, and you finally get it that it's not about being good enough it's about believing God and coming on the path that God said you have to come and he willingly accepts you if you will willingly follow the path that leads to him the world lies and says that all paths lead to God it's not true. Jesus said, there's one path. I'm that path. And his arms are open wide. So today, if you want to experience that birth, that second birth, spiritual life, be saved. And if you want to move from being outside of Christ to being inside of Christ, then you just stand up and come to the front and I'll pray for whoever is up front at the end of, uh, of our time of worshiping. So if you want to receive Christ, Stand up and come now.